Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks, howdy, and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. In this episode, we are going to talk about different methods of learning. And one of the ways that we can learn is what I call sink or swim or learning by immersion. You might call it uh, like jumping in over your head or, you know, immersion or learning by absorption. So what exactly is this? And, And by the way, most everything you know, either consciously or subconsciously, you learn through absorption or immersion. That's my theory. Um, And let's see if I can uh, go about proving that now. But before I do that, let me tell you, my wife and I, uh, on several occasions, went down to Key West. Great place. Don't take the kids. And uh, we, you know, hanging around. I was thinking about Key West when this hurricane came through and have, have... wondered how things fared down there. But anyway, a couple of times my wife and I went down there and uh, we'd run into this guy named Adrian. There are obviously a lot of bars in Key West and you can see a lot of musicians all day long. You know, they play a couple hours and then the next one comes on. It's like all day, every day at all these different places. So anyway, one of the ones that we saw down there on multiple trips down there was this guy named Adrian. Uh, hilarious. Uh, the guy, you know, just a guy with a guitar and a bunch of songs and a bunch of jokes. Really good, uh, good dude. So we would kind of keep our eye on the schedules at the different places and try to always be there when, when he was on over at this place. It's funny, though, like might be on at 10 o'clock at one joint and then at four o'clock at another place and then skip two days and they're on at eight o'clock. It, it's funny. Anyway, I give credit to Adrian for this joke and it, here it is. I'll never forget the day my father taught me how to swim. I thought I'd never get out of that bag. You know, rim shot. But that's the, you know, that's what I'm talking about here. Maybe not being put into a bag and then thrown into the river. But, you know, there's an old school method of teaching kids to swim where you, you pick up the screaming child and you walk to the end of the dock and you chunk him in, you know, it's the sink or swim. And I would say that most kids probably swim just fine. It's probably a lot like throwing a cat in a swimming pool. They'll figure it out. And if they don't, if they look like they're going to go under, you can always dive in and pull them out. I am not suggesting that's how you teach your child to swim, but I've been watching Jackson taking swimming lessons for two years now. And boy, these days, well, first of all, let me tell you how I learned to swim. My dad did not put me in a bag and chuck me off a, off a boat with an anchor in there. Um, but I took uh, the old uh, YMCA swimming lessons. And so basically it was a week of maybe two weeks of swimming lessons every day for two hours or something. But the first thing they did was lined all the kids up 
and uh, on the deep end of the pool and tell them jump in. That's how it all started. Actually, I think it was on day two. I think day one was down in the shallow end, like hanging on the side and doing some kicking or something. But I mean, it was quick. It was go down to the deep end. You actually had to walk out the um, diving board. And of course, there's a line of kids and you don't want to look like an idiot and you don't want to look like a chicken. And there's people behind you in line. So you... you go on the diving board and you walk to the end of the diving board and you jump in and by hook or crook, you get to that ladder. You got about maybe 10, 12, 15 feet to dog paddle your way to the ladder and you figure it out. And after you've done that one thing, you lose a lot of fear and you learn an awful lot about swimming that no one can teach you. you just some things you just cannot put into words. And music is like this. I remember having students um, quiz me at lessons about how do you how do you hear chord progressions? Like, you know, it went from a G to a C to an A minor to an F to a D. How, how do you hear that? How do you how do I practice? How do I learn to do that? And I admit, when I was first beginning to teach, I had no idea. And I thought, well, I you know, I do it pretty good. I go to a jam session and. I don't miss too many chords. I begin to pick it up. But but I didn't know how I was doing that. And it's not natural ability. It is learning subconsciously through immersion. I cannot sit there and explain to you, well, you see, when you're going from if they're when they're going from a G to a D chord, you'll it'll sound sound different. It'll feel how do you put that in words, you know? But if you hear it a bunch, if you hear a bunch of songs going from G to D and back to G, pretty soon you figure it out. You, you figure out what a D sounds like in the key of G, you know, the one five chord concept. It's hard to put those things in words. I have attempted to, and I've attempted to develop you know, methods to at least give somebody some practice in, you know, exercising that ability. Uh, one of the things I used to do is I, I would say, I would show a student the six common chords in the key. And let's say we're in the key of G. G is your one chord. A minor is your two. B minor is your three. Four is C. Five is D. And six is six minor, E minor. That's the six common chords found in the key of G. And if you want full explanation of that, just go to the book Mandolin Masterclass. And I think I've actually got a couple of videos on that, covering that kind of stuff too. Anyway, this is not a theory lesson, but to describe to you one of the ways I used to try to teach this is... First thing I would do is I'd take a piece of cardboard or something and I'd I'd write G, C, and D on it, kind of in a triangular formation. And I would say, and I'd be holding a guitar, and I would play a G chord and I'd say, point to G. When I'm on a G, point to G. And I'm going to randomly switch to C, maybe back to G, maybe over to D. I'm just going to play those three chords randomly while I chunk out a little bluegrass rhythm here, and you point to the chord I'm on. 
Only thing is I'm going to turn my back so you cannot see my hands. And I would put myself in a position where they couldn't watch my hands. They had to, number one, and this is the first way we learn to hear chord changes, is you have to notice that the chord has changed. So if you hear something different, well, it probably changed. Well, with only three chords, you've got a 50% chance of hitting the right chord because I limited this initial exercise to only three chords. So you just take a guess. It either went to C or it either went to D. So then after we do that a little while, and they'd miss a few and, and so on, and I'd be looking over my shoulder seeing what they're pointing at. But they couldn't see my hands. I didn't want them, you know, to be going by my fingers. Like, oh, I recognize what a D chord looks like on the guitar. That is helpful, by the way, but that wasn't what I was trying to teach. I was trying to just get them to listen and hear the difference between a C and a D. But how do I explain that? It's not explainable. I did come up with one analogy, and I think that this is true. And then I'm going to get off of all this theory stuff. If you look at the six chords found in the key of G, and you take them in numerical order, G is 1, A minor is 2, B minor is 3, C is 4, D is 5, and E minor is 6. What I would do is I, I, I put a nail in the wall, and I had this big old rubber band that I, I don't know, the mailman bundled a bunch of junk together one time with this humongous rubber band. So I hung the rubber band on the nail, and it's just hanging there, not being stretched at all. It's just a rubber band hanging on a nail. I said, that is the one chord. And in the key of G, that's the G. There's no tension. It's fully relaxed. It's Okay. Now I put my finger in the rubber band and I pull it about an inch. I say, that's the two minor chord. You're beginning to get a little tension. So that would be A minor. I pull it another inch. Now I'm on B minor. More tension. Then I get to C. That's only half an inch. Then I pull it a full inch. That's D. There's a lot of tension in there. And then I pull it another inch and I get E minor. There's a whole lot of tension there. And then I can relax back to C. Not fully relaxed back, but partially relaxed. Or I could go down to A minor, I could come back to D, a lot of tension, or I could let it all the way back to G. So my rubber band thing was an analogy that the, the farther you remove yourself, one, two, three, four, five, six, from the, the root, the, the key you're in, the more tension you hear. But how do you put that in words? You know, I think seeing that little rubber band um, analogy then we'd go back to playing the chords again. And I would play them in order. I'd play G, A minor, B minor, C, D, E minor. And see if now they can hear that additional tension that's going on in there. But my point is not to teach you how to do that. My point is that some things just cannot be explained in words. And I know I'm, I'm peddling lots of material that is certainly in the books that are ideas and knowledge transmitted through words or charts or drawings 
and all that is valuable. But then there's this thing that cannot be put into words. That's what you learn when your pappy throws you off the end of the dock. You learn those things that cannot be put into words. And maybe they do that because they're frustrated and they don't know how to tell you how to swim. If you ever try to explain to a kid how to swim, you can see it going in one ear and out the other. There's too much going on. It's too complicated. There aren't words to describe some of this stuff. Oh, yeah, you can talk about, you know, picking apples and putting them in the basket and all that. But you're not really going to learn it until you jump in the pool or lake. Okay, so having said all that, let's let's stick with my basic theory that there are two ways to learn things. You either learn things consciously, that is, thinking about it, having things explained to you through books and videos, and all that stuff is very valuable. When I was just talking about the one chord, the two minor, the three minor, the four, the five, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about there, Books and videos and things like that are the way to get there. So you either learn consciously by thinking about things or you learn subconsciously. And I describe this, you, you learn by hanging around, hanging around, soaking it up, you know, getting a feel for things, feeling out the territory, jumping in there and, you know, giving it a the old college try, you know, stuff like that. You learn by getting in there and doing it, even if you don't know what you're doing. Okay, both methods are important. If you only do one or the other, you will not turn out to be as good a musician. You need to do them both. Not necessarily at the same time. But think about when you were a kid. I've mentioned this in a previous episode. When you were a kid and you learned to speak, uh, let's assume you're speaking English or you wouldn't probably be listening to this podcast. You picked it up. Nobody ever set you down. Oh, they might have told you, that's the TV. <laughs> of course, I would tell my kid, that's the TV. TV is bad. TV bad. But anyway, they didn't explain a whole lot to you. You were basically dropped on this planet, surrounded by a bunch of aliens speaking this weird language. And you observed, and you imitated, and you figured it all out on your own. That works in music, too. However, it, it, I'm not saying that to say that book learning is not important. Every bit of book learning helps you. But it's useless if you don't also have that observation and imitation thing going on subconsciously. Okay. Two points that I have made in some past episodes. I'll let my archivist, whoever you are, figure out which episodes. I am personally losing track. And I, I at one time thought, well, one of these days I am going to go back and listen to all of them and write down some bullet points and stuff. I've given that up. I, I simply do not have the time to go back and listen to it all again. Maybe one of you wants to do that. Uh, and we'll make one of those uh, keyword, what do they call them, word clouds or tag clouds or something. Anyway, two points that I have made, I remember making these points, is number one, 
you will learn more and make better music if you play with folks better than you are. And I'm sure I talked about that is if they will play with you. I, I know I talked about jumping into auditioning and joining the band Cedar Hill when quite clearly they were, as a band, much better musicians than I was. And it was sink or swim. You better get up to speed and you better do it quick. But the advantage of that is I knew what I needed to do. It was laid out. There was a, I had a role to fill so I could direct my energies towards those things. If you're just going to, you know, fly solo all the time, it's hard to know where, where should you point your little rowboat? You know, where should you be going? What should you be working on? Who knows? Who cares? Because you don't have anybody else. You know, what you do means nothing in your isolation. So, okay. So that was the first point. Always try to make music with people who are better than you if they'll let you. And the second point I've made is that woodshedding, study, solitary practice, all that kind of stuff is important. Because at the end of the day, you've got to get off the couch and go out there and play and make some music. But if you come in, if, if, if you showed up at a jam set, let's, let's just say you take the extreme position that, okay, I'm going to learn everything subconsciously. I'm going to ignore all, you know, books, written knowledge. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit home practicing and studying and trying to figure out what are the notes of an A minor seventh chord. I'm not going to do all that. I'm just going to jump in there. It, that would be very much like learning to swim. By going up to Niagara Falls, getting about a hundred yards upstream of the falls and doing a swan dive into that river. Probably you'll actually die from hypothermia before you go over the falls. But what I'm saying is you can, you, it might be smarter to like go to an old farm pond somewhere and jump in, you know, rather than trying Niagara Falls. But you can do it. It's your life. You do what you want to. But having a little bit of knowledge and ability when you show up and do jump in feet first can help you. So don't think you're wasting your time when you are sitting around, you know, studying the Flint Hill Scrolls or, you know, practicing out of the mandolin training camp. Notice I smoothly insert those little plugs for my products. After all, if I don't sell some products, I cannot do this. Okay, enough of that. I'm sure somebody will jump on the uh, iTunes and criticize me for that. Okay, well, whenever they do their podcast, I'll come out of the woodwork and maybe make a comment about that. Nah, probably not. Anyway, the point is, if you know a little something, it'll help you. Because probably if you're playing with people who are better than you, they do know some of these things. So they're going to be, you know, throwing around terminology and things that it would be helpful if you knew a little something about. But the big point is because we humans are imitators, we learn a lot of what we do by imitation, as you did as a child, learning to speak. So the big point, who you hang out with 
counts. It counts a lot. So um, choose wisely and realize that as a if you're a newbie or if you're somewhat inexperienced, you don't really you're not even yet qualified to judge those people. So you're going to have to hang around with a lot of people, and before you even begin to figure out how do you judge those people. Now, admittedly, you know some of the stars you could pretty much by assumption go, oh well, those guys are great. Maybe I could maybe I could go join the uh, the Punch Brothers. You know, well the question is, will will they have you? And the way to get in at that level, I mean, is a lot of practice and a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience with other musicians who maybe are not yet on, on that caliber. So it's a ladder climbing thing. So I just don't recommend you jump into the Niagara River knowing nothing. So, okay, so I kind of lost my train of thought there. Who you hang out with does count. And let me mention this, young people, if you're young and you're listening to this, it's my observation that young people tend to hang out with a group without a whole lot of analytical thinking as to why they chose that group. Sometimes it's chance. Sometimes it's just who you happen to be seated next to by the teacher. You know, it's, you don't get to choose your surroundings quite as much when you're when you're young when you're in college it could be you just start hanging out with those guys in the dorm room next to you because somebody else stuck them in the room what i'm saying is young people tend to fall into groups without a whole lot of thinking about it and then they tend to take on that tribal dress attitudes their speech uh, their morals and their uh, you know cultural habits of their tribe. And they do that without a whole lot of thinking about it. Younger people, older people, they've already um, taken on, they've already formed a lot of their ways of thinking. So what they tend to do is seek out groups who are already similar to them. They already have the same tribal dress, attitudes, speech, morals, habits. You see this a lot. I mean, I know some some musicians, for example, you've got musicians who will drink recreationally and you've got some that won't and they don't generally mix very much. I mean, or they might mix a little bit, but when it comes to forming up a band or something, you know, if, if you got this guy and I'm not criticizing either one, by the way, if you've got a guy who is a teetotaler and, you know, for whatever reasons has decided that, you know, the consumption of alcohol is just a, a sin or whatever, he's probably not going to choose some long-haired banjo-picking, pot-smoking drunk to be in his band, you know? But if there's a band full of a bunch of hippie freaks where, you know, it's all good, man, they're probably not going to select, you know, him to be in their band. You, you get what I'm saying? So adults tend, even young adults, tend to seek out people that are already similar. 
but it doesn't have to be that way. And this is a, a little side point I want to bring in. It doesn't have to be that way. Look around the people you hang out with and ask yourself, are all these guys the same age as me? Pretty much the same. We're all more or less the same situation. We all drive the same brand of truck. Do we all like the same things? Do we da, 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 da. look around you and then ask yourself, maybe we're limiting ourselves here. You know, I sometimes will see a, a you know, a band and everybody's the same age, it's, you know, within 10, 15 years. But, you know, sometimes having a kid in the band or a young person in the band or a couple of them, sometimes this works better if you have, um, you know, a couple of each because, you know, it's it's tough to be like the only 18-year-old playing in a band full of 65 to 70-year-olds. I mean, it might be your thing, but if you got somebody else you can kind of relate to in your age range, that can be helpful. Same goes for gender, I suppose. Uh, you know, I, I sometimes feel sorry for the lone woman in a band. But you see a band that has two women in it, and, you know, they seem to be a little happier sometimes. So all I'm saying is look around and as you're forming these different groups. And I'm not talking about bands. I'm even talking about jam sessions. There's a tendency at, I've seen this a lot of times at bluegrass festivals, to go around and be observing different jams and stuff. And they tend to coagulate into groups of similarity, not groups of difference. You know? I, I'm not trying to fight human nature here. I'm just saying that sometimes you can find ways to advance the music that you are playing by mixing it up a little bit. I was in a band for a, a little while with one of my students or yeah, one of my students and his friend, I mentioned this in a podcast, the incorrigible string band. And basically it was these two young guys who, you know, <laughs> they hadn't been out there and, and done much at that point, but man, they were energetic and they, they, they wanted to do it. And then the other two members were me and my neighbor up the road, a harmonica player by the name of Harps Jackson. He and I were kind of like the old salts, the seasoned old salts in the group. And at times it was frustrating for us. And at times it was frustrating for those younger guys. I'm sure they looked at us like a couple of old, eh, you know what I mean? But we helped them out a lot. For example, I had a trailer and a PA and that helped them out a lot. So you each have things to bring to the table. But again, back to my main point. Who you hang out with really counts because you absorb things from them. And uh, last thing I'll say on this topic, which is kind of disjointed. I have to admit, I put this together pretty quickly because ever since that hurricane came through, I have just had mountains of um, outdoor work to do. I've been, uh, you know, there's, there's two things I don't recommend that anybody does. And number one is don't be your own dentist. And number two, uh, maybe don't be your own logger because that's what I've been doing all, all week is, um, home, uh, do it yourself, DIY logging operation. And it's getting old. Let me tell you, um, anyway, who you hang out with counts. You will absorb things from them. Um, 
But when you, when you get out there and you start doing this, you start mixing with other people, which you should always do in conjunction with your private learning, is what you'll find is that jams are easier. You can walk up to a jam and pick with some guys for a little while and, you know, not, not, not get rejected like if, let's say, some guys were forming a band and they're looking for a mandolin player. It's harder to convince them to play with you. You know, I've, I've been to a lot of bluegrass festivals where, you know, sometimes some of the stars that are there for the weekend, well, you know, they'll come out and start hanging around and jamming with people. And, you know, that's a great way to play with people better than you go to festivals and hang around and, and watch. You're going to find some people that are better than you are. If you're not finding people who are better than you are, you're not doing, doing it right. On the other side of the coin, I always have two sides to every coin. On the other side of the coin, don't be a snob. There are people that you're better than. So help out those that are starting, you know, give them a helping hand up. Sometimes you have to be in the role of the old salt that's been around the block a few times. And sometimes you have to just confess you don't know anything and you're a babe in the woods. Both of these things are important. So anyway, hopefully you got a little something out of this rather disjointed. Oh, I, for, I forgot where I was going with that logging thing. The, the point I was attempting to make, and I confused myself, was that I've been really busy. So I, I didn't have the usual day or two to write a bunch of notes and get all my thoughts completely hashed out. So I hope you cut me some slack on that. All right, so last item here. I plugged the website in the last episode, but I forgot to mention it. So just for the record, um, for those of you who are looking for free mandolin lessons or free banjo lessons, both in the bluegrass or the claw hammer style or basic bluegrass guitar lessons and a variety of other things, just go to my website, bradleylaird.com. And of course, if you go to the show notes page, you can go to grasstalkradio.com and you'll find all of the other episodes and little brief descriptions of them and uh, links to to where you can play them. You can play them right there on the site. So you got all that stuff. Um, and of course I have my own instructional books, materials, <laughs> videos, and all that kind of stuff. If I have anything there that would help you on that knowledge and information side, uh, I encourage you to check those out. And if you, if you find things you like, like if you, if you get the Flint Hill Scrolls and you're a banjo player, been playing a couple of years and, and you, and you read the book and you go, man, this is great. I appreciate you telling me that, but I'd appreciate even more if you told everybody else that, you know, jump on banjo hangout and tell those guys that. Anyway, I do appreciate the emails that I get from people. I do get them um, from time to time, and I, I thank you for taking the time to let me know that you're out there. Anyway, for the music for this episode, it dawned on me that I've been opening the show with a little, uh, the little intro to a song called Prison Walls, written by a friend of mine named Randy Godwin. And I don't, I don't think I've ever played the whole song. So uh, check it out. These are um, words, or I should say lyrics and melody by Randy Godwin. 
and it is performed by the band Pony Express. So here we go. Here's the complete version of a really cool song called Prison Walls. Y'all take care. Far away from my family I ain't got no name Just this number on my back I don't think I'll last another minute I'm tired of changing shackles Can't you see? Running from the law Ain't no life at all But prison walls won't be the death of me Same back breaking labor Here in the yard I'll pay my price with all my years I don't think I'll last another minute I'm tired of chains and shackles Can't you see? Running from the law Ain't no life at all But prison walls won't be the death of me Prison walls won't be the death of me. Running from the law ain't no life at all. But prison walls won't be the death of me. 